You're tuning in to the Oats for Breakfast extended segment. In this next segment, we'll be continuing our discussion about the recent debate that took place between Slavoj Žižek and Jordan Peterson in Toronto. This time, we'll get into talking about the reaction that others have had to this debate. We're also going to be talking about what uh, we would have hoped for in the debate. My name is Brent. I'm Karma. And I'm Blake. Okay, guys. So um, maybe, maybe Brent, would you like to uh, go first and tell us what have you read about the debate? Is there? I have read uh, a Guardian article. Uh, who who is the a right Vice article? Okay, um, I've read. Okay, so yeah, basically, like the liberal line has been to essentially say, you know, uh, they're basically the same. They're frenemies, etc. Same type of uh, disreputable. What did what did Hillary Clinton say? Undesirable, oh, the deplorables, De- deplorables, basket yeah. of deplorables. Um, support these two guys just on other sides of the spectrum, which was a bit shocking actually. Because uh, when I watched the debate, I've never seen a more, and this is not to be like a, a Zizek fanboy, but never seen a more comprehensive sort of deconstruction of another uh, debater. Yeah, he undressed as, him as Zizek did. So it wasn't clear to me that they. You know, this was somehow a draw. It was very much uh, a comprehensive win, if you could call it that, uh, for Zizek. So I was a bit surprised by the liberal reactions, which made me think, well, these articles were probably written in advance, almost. Oh, yeah. If If not in actuality, then in spirit. If you're speaking specifically about Stefan Marsh from uh, The Guardian, um, I think Stefan Marsh said that uh, Zizek was a Gen X nostalgia act from the 90s, and basically that he's irrelevant, which I thought was kind of interesting because how can you say that these two people are are completely irrelevant when when clearly there's a huge uh, audience for this kind of debate to take place? Yeah, um, definitely these stakes are kind of disconnected for sure. But I also, this this is something that I was uh, sort of worried about, I guess, I guess afterwards. Like I could see how someone who hasn't engaged with these ideas or like doesn't really care could see this as being like, oh, two friendly people just having a discussion. Well, it's also the fact that Peterson, part of the Peterson's shtick too is that he he doesn't actually engage well with uh, very confrontational people. He shuts down. He, he refuses to debate them. That's that's his problem with the identity politics left in general, right? They, I think what's very clear is that uh, there was not like an opportunity for Zizek to be, and I don't think that's Zizek's style to begin with, but I think that um, if he would have engaged him in a very, you know, an ad hominem attacks and all this kind of stuff, that it would have it would have just uh, collapsed the entire debate. So I thought that one of the more useful things about the debate was that they were kind of cordial to one another. But I don't I don't know if you guys thought the same thing. Uh, well, I don't think you have to be cordial to Jordan Peterson. Hmm. I really hate Jordan Peterson. I hate his face. <laughs> I hate the sound of his voice. What about his Don Cherry suits? I hate his creepy hands. If you notice his hands, they were like <laughs> the fluttering of the, <laughs> the fiddling hands. Yeah. Um, no, he needs to be destroyed. Yeah, but then he, and then and completely discredited. I, and I think, yeah, I kind of Zizek maybe should have gone for blood a bit more. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting here wondering now, like maybe this did serve the liberal purpose a bit more than I had first recognized. In that, by bringing these together, and I always knew this was, I always felt this was going to happen. Just knowing Zizek, knowing the sort of overlap there over the sort of critique of political correctness, mm-hmm. that Zizek at least would find some way to sort of bring 
to draw an equivalence there or to at least make it more friendlier than it, it needed to be or it should have been. And so maybe it served the liberal pur- purpose of painting these these two guys with the same brush, of mm-hmm. painting the far light, quote unquote, far left and the far right with the same sort of brush. What about the, uh, I don't know if we want to talk more about the sort of liberal. Take. Well, then the Vice article was yeah. ridiculous. And I guess... Um, like as another publication, I, I haven't, I don't really, I've always hated Vice. Um, it's always struck me as let's go stick like a hipster from Blur and Ossington in like war zones. Like that's what they <laughs> Yeah. Like here's Mike from, uh, you know, Parkdale and he's going to go figure out what's going on in like, you know. And probably, uh, yeah. Probably doing psychedelic drugs at the same yeah. time. Like what's, what's it like to do yeah. uh, ayahuasca in, in Syria or something yeah. stupid? Yeah. So Vice has pissed me off for a long time. And and this article was written by, like, we were talking about it before, Blake. It was just like this guy who was like, oh, I have to go to this debate. Mm. You know, I'd rather be at the Raptors game with my bro, like <laughs> drinking craft beer. Oh, these guys, look at all these people in the crowd. They never get laid. Like, And you're just like, what is happening? That's and so it, this is sort of like basically being like, if you like either of these two people, you are not cool. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's sort of like Beto O'Rourke, let's make liberalism like cool again type vibe um, was just infuriating. Um, but what about if we go farther left? Like I, I, I thought what was interesting about the, the current affairs article, which was kind of representative of a lot of left kind of critiques. It was, you know, the classic crimes of omission that, you know, what I would have done uh, to debate Peterson differently than Zizek. He was kind of going, Zizek should have done like a point-by-point deconstruction of Peterson's understanding of Marxism. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you do that with someone who read only the Communist Manifesto? Like, it would have been completely useless, and the audience would have been half asleep mm-hmm. um, if, you know, if, if they're going to go into a debate about Marxist theory. And, you know, and to Zizek's credit, he actually did uh, point out to Peterson that, uh, Zizek brought up like the 18th Brumaire and 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 other less well known um, texts from Marx. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of the leftist take has been that like you know Zizek's not Marxist enough. He mm. didn't offer like a, a principled Marxist uh, argument, which like sure, like I think that's fair. But I I also like what I would have hoped for was um, more of the stuff that makes both of these guys popular. Like again, like they're what the, the, the kind of things that they talk about with like. About like because it was meant to be about happiness, right? And I thought that was compelling. So like talking about thing like the current contemporary context of society and like how people feel alienated and and how people like struggle to connect in a hyper connected world and all of this stuff, right? Like I know it's very rudimentary, but I I kind of wish they discussed more of that. But I also could, can't necessarily expect that. Like the debate's going to go where it goes. Yeah. Um. I do think that like the way that Jujic approached it was probably best. Um. I don't know. I, I do understand, I think, a bit of the leftist critique um, because I do think like some sort of basic sort of like, you know, Marxist socialist arguments could have been made uh, that would have hit home. But also, I don't know, like if that's just if there's no space for that necessarily where that would be compelling, like why would you necessarily make that argument? Yeah. Yeah. Like the leftist critique seems to have been um, he didn't or, or sort of like Zizek has fallen into um, a sort of bourgeois pessimism. Mm hmm that you know transcending capitalism is impossible a sort of limiting of horizons um which might be a change in Zizek that i guess i hadn't noticed either because he certainly wasn't like that in his earlier writing i didn't see it as actually as pessimistic as a lot of the people commentating afterwards were talking about i thought i thought it was very realist in the sense that like 
Zizek, you know, it seems pessimistic because he doesn't have this kind of drunken, you know, faith in a proletarian revolution is, you know, bearing these kind of leading to the end of all human suffering. I, I think that that's something that he doesn't, he doesn't have this idea that, you know, you end capitalism and human beings are, are going to be free and happy. I feel like the pessimism too is, uh, is kind of what makes him a little, maybe it's not right to call it pessimism. Cause I, I agree, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think he's uh, sort of like a bourgeois pessimist. I think he's just trying to be realistic and not be like overly idealistic. Um, and I do think that's one of the things that kind of makes him appealing, right? Because to hear someone like in the current context of like how far back we are talk about like how, yeah, this emancipatory society is, I think a little alienating, even if it's maybe, or maybe just unrealistic, like you wouldn't necessarily take that seriously. Whereas like he's taking, I think he's being honest about where this is going. Um, and I think that's, that's compelling, but the, the, the leftist kind of uh, take, I feel like it's just been like, you shouldn't engage with this debate or like not, I don't, I want to, I don't want to say like the leftist take, but a lot of leftists take have been like, you, you should just shouldn't engage with this debate whatsoever. And I don't understand that even from a strategic standpoint, like I do think this was a strategic win for the left in a lot of ways. So even from that perspective, it seems to me like this is kind of like leftist pessimism, if anything, like their lack of wanting to engage with it is their lack of wanting to engage in anything that could potentially be seen as a win, right? Like, I think there's an un- sometimes there's uh, what bothers me sometimes about a left position is it's it's kind of easy yeah because you have this sort of like utopian otherworldly vision of socialism you can then sort of f- absolve yourselves of dealing with sort of the contradictions of capitalism and you can critique everything and you're like well it doesn't matter because I in my socialism I don't have to deal with this right I can I can always gesture towards a socialist future so. You know, I can critique anything as long as anything, you know, is manifested in capitalism, you know, you you can critique it and not have to actually think about how to deal with that in any sort of concrete way. So actually, I don't know what is almost in that sense more pessimistic or maybe more bourgeois because it takes a, a... uh, you have to you have to be in a sort of privileged position to be able to constantly be gesturing to a future that may or may not exist. I've always been very skeptical of this sort of argument about like bourgeois pessimism. It, to me, a, a sort of just a socialist utopian position smacks of a of a, a sort of bourgeois distance from reality. Yeah, that's very true. I think, but see, this is a, this is the interesting thing. I, I was having a discussion with someone before the debate happened, um, and I was, and they were like, "Okay, well, you know, Zizek's not going to defeat the right for us, um, whatever." And I was like, "And and you know, they were kind of critiquing the the debate as just spectacle. So this is not you're not actually doing anything by doing this. Like, it's not like you're actually dealing with the contradictions of capitalism by attending this debate or engaging with it. Um, it's just spectacle. And you know, because what I had said before is, look, like JP's ideas or whatever, aren't just like amongst people who are like ideologically committed, sort of like right wingers, like people in the workplace and like in working class communities, whatever, like have a lot of these ideas. So it's important to engage with them. Um, And that was like sort of their their comeback is that this is just spectacle and you're not actually engaging anyone or doing anything. um, And that it's sort of like, yeah, it's it's not going to be necessarily accessible. But I find that to be kind of ridiculous because we live, I feel like in an age of spectacle Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, like spectacle is really important to engage with. And so it's this weird thing with leftists too, where they're just so connected to this, like, no, like it's on the ground work or whatever. And it's like, how is our society sort of really functioning nowadays? Like a lot of it is spectacle. A lot of it is like these big sort of like aesthetic things. Actually, Zizek probably did more to stem the tide of like Peterson, 
Peterson mania mm-hmm. yeah. than any of those like protests did, which actually well, just course. sort of enhanced his reputation exactly. or any of the sort of Antifa. Dem- and, and it's not clear to me that those aren't spectacles. either. Oh, they're absolutely yeah. where yeah, you exactly. have like six uh, television stations downtown to watch 20 people from the internet. Get the into black a fight. Wall, yeah. yeah. Um, like Zizek, literally, if you look at the Jordan Peterson subreddit after it was like, literally you had his fans being like, I'm going to read Zizek. I'm rethinking <laughs> things. Yeah. Like it was quite, I was like, geez, I've never seen something like this before. And that's not to defend what Zizek said or say it was perfect, but you know, sometimes, yeah, engaging with them and really you know, making it clear like that this guy's a fraud yeah. can, can go quite yeah. far. I know. Yeah. I think a lot of JP fans, uh, definitely sort of saw him as a bit of a hack and, uh, and lost a lot of trust in him. But then I also stumbled upon some Jordan Peterson fans who were like Christians who, uh, who were saying things like, you know, Zizek was incomprehensible in the comments. They were like thanking the person who's making this video about the debate for like explaining Zizek's positions because they, they didn't understand. And they, they kind of were like very compelled by uh, Peterson's view. I don't know if that's like really a thing that a lot of people felt though, or if it's, it's extremely niche, hmm. uh, possibly could be, but we thought we were talking about how Zizek's, you know, the fact that he's incomprehensible makes him appealing, but also could be like a drawback. Yeah. I think that's part of his appeal. Just, um, bewildering you with a bunch of different theories and ideas uh, and connecting, like I said before, making paradoxical connections between those ideas and arguments. Like, for instance, saying, yeah, um, being a Christian atheist, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I still don't really know what that means. <laughs> but, I think the point was that, like, it was through Christ's anxiety on the cross or existential crisis on the cross. Like, he says, I think that that was, like, one of the only times in, like, religious literature or whatever, or uh, religious texts where you have that kind of uh, fragility, even within your God figure or whatever. Yeah. Like, that, that's the first time that happened. But um, I don't, I don't, I'm not an expert on religious studies, so I, I don't know if that's actually an accurate statement or not. But uh, I mean, in terms of just general responses, I guess if, uh, if we're not talking specifically like the leftist versus the liberal or whatever, I feel like generally how I f- felt about the responses is it's either like the, the sort of vice vibe of like, I didn't want to watch a debate, but I did anyway. And here's what I think about it. It's like, or like taking the debate way too seriously, I feel like, and like yeah. not taking it for the, the fact that it's kind of like this entertaining thing um, and uh, showcases sort of like these two things that are like right now very popular. Um, it just, yeah, I don't know. I was a little frustrated with kind of the, the general response because it, it felt disconnected. It felt like it was kind of, I don't know, making fun of people as well in general for wanting to engage in things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of the, like whether it was the leftist or the liberal sort of response was a little highbrow and a little like, you know, come and being like, here's yeah. how you should kind of feel about this thing that you might've been excited about, right? Like for, for general people who find this kind of thing exciting. I think also like, you know, this is for people who are just getting into these questions. So yeah, it is a bit disingenuous for people like, to like really hammer this for not being like the exact type of Marxism that I want it to be. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is for people who are like sort of watching YouTube, maybe have read like a book or two. And yeah, Zizek and Peterson are pretty recognizable features. And that when you start getting into these things, that's who you gravitate towards. Cause you're like, I don't know, that's who is presented to you. So yeah, it was for, I think essentially a younger audience. Um, so in that sense, I think Zizek also won comprehensively because he was able to, I think, convince that younger audience who was seeing the difference between the left and the right and certainly on the internet as between, you know, the alt-right 
Trump supporters and uh, like what they see as like an unreasonable hyper PC culture, which may or may not exist. Right. But maybe a better question might be is, is there a left Petersonian and is there a right Petersonian? Do you think we can split his kind of supporters into two categories? Those who kind of flirt with these kind of alt-right fortune. Well, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. And then those who are kind of more, you, you know, these liberals who might, might just, purely out of just not being introduced to kind of the ideas of the left might be drifting towards Peterson because he, he appears to be kind of, he doesn't appear to a, to a, the average viewer of being like a neo-Nazi or, or an alt-right guy. Obviously these alt-right guys kind of like there's certain, certain fragments of the alt-right who, who, who drift towards Peterson's explanations. But is there space within this kind of cult following of Peterson? Is there space, is there certain segments or fractions of this group that might be open to left ideas? And is it just the fact that they have never been introduced to someone like Zizek or? Well, that's what I was also, and it, it makes me think that oftentimes when people first get engaged in politics, it's more on the social sort of stroke cultural issues that they're engaged with. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times the economics are a mystery to them, the socioeconomics. I think it's hard to like categorize um, or define like Peterson fans as anything specific. It's, mm. I do think there yeah. are a lot of legitimate grievances that probably like uh, Jordan Peterson fans have. Um, and he just offers a very nice sort of like easy way because like his self-help stuff, like sure, like I'm sure it's not bad. It, it seems very like rudimentary of like getting your life together. And people want that. Like people want to be able to, to see someone telling them what to do, but also have like these critiques about society that they might also like um, find compelling or whatever. Yeah. I think what I kind of wish the debate maybe did it. I think Zizek did a good job of, of saying like, Hey, you know, there's a like Chapo Trapos used to call it like a dirt bag left out there. That's not like the hyper PC sort of thing, but also it would have been good to have a, a sort of, not just engage Peterson fans on that level, right? On the social cultural level, but really gauge on the economic level beyond the sort of ideology argument. Like Zizek got to the surface of it being like your disaffection um, or the reason why you might be struggling has to do with the sort of social institutions uh, that are thrown up, you know, under capitalist societies. And, yeah, so I guess the one thing I, I do wish uh, that Zizek engaged him a little more was to push beyond the sort of social and cultural issues to pointing to ways in which a potential socialist alternative or even a more a sort of decommodified push in that direction is a viable uh, economic system, how it can bring benefits uh, to a lot of these so-called disaffected white males, and how it can enhance personal autonomy. That is not just about um, this sort of Hayekian um, contrast between a free society and a collectivist domination, that individual autonomy is um, always caught up in the social context in which it exists. And to you have to focus on improving that social context to improve the conditions in which individual autonomy can flourish. So um, making, as opposed to just being like, hey, we're not all so bad. I just, I agree with you, Brett, that uh, I think Zizek could have got, because he did mention, he did kind of like, the, the sort of social order, right, like the, right. the whatever, like the context, he did that. Um, and he did that in a way that that did make kind of Peterson concede, right? And have to, and have to say, well, 
I'm, I would never tell an individual to do something without thinking about, you know, their community or whatever, which is also surface level. Like that's not really what Zizek is talking about. He's talking about like sort of a societal, like larger issue. Um, but he didn't, he didn't like, I think talk about things that uh, very concretely, like things like people suffering from like not being able to, to like, being financially insolvent essentially. Right. Like I think bringing something like that up mm. um, and tying it into some of the, the things that he was yeah, saying, he, just, he went in that direction. Yeah. yeah that right. would have been like a very concrete, really good way to okay, yeah, or, yeah. or can North Koreans uh, pull themselves up by the bootstraps. I yeah. That, I mean, he said but that's that almost like it's conceding. It's in a way like he should have made that example more in a Western capitalist context. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause like that's, everyone can agree about yeah. explicit sort of, um, yeah. disordered society. But f- yeah, exactly. Like freedom, you know, yeah. Like capitalist societies are defined by, you know, I guess formal freedom in the political sphere. And then just like usually pretty, clear subjugation in the economic realm, right? Like, mm-hmm. a, and he could have pointed to all these ways in which we are definitely unfree, uh, mm-hmm. under capitalist social relations, uh, and the ways in which we, we can improve that and how the ways we do that increases our freedom through like joining unions through certain welfare state provisions that give us opportunities, um, outside of the market, right? To, so we don't have to rely on the market to reproduce ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a very powerful form of freedom. And even if he just brought up that simple point. That's yeah. an interesting point too, because to what extent do you think maybe, do you think that would have been a useful thing to talk about? Do you think Peterson's, uh, we already talked about Peterson not being, um, not having the background in, in Marx's political theory or Marxist economics to debate Marxism. But do you even think that Peterson has a background in neoclassical economics? Do you think no. he, oh, do you God. think he'd probably make, you know, we talk about Smith or <laughs> do you think you would just be completely lost? No. And you saw that in his discussion of like the welfare state. And yeah, like he's like, Oh, there's all these different national experiments. In yeah. Terms yeah. Of, and everyone's trying to, it's just like, what is this guy on about? Cause he's like, he sounds like this, like, libertarian like hayekian free market liberal in sort of just you know on a surface level where then he's like oh yeah yeah we know we need to have like the welfare state and things like that well it's a rigid defense of the status quo because he's like yeah he has no idea how much welfare state or if there should be more or less there's no really understanding Mm of is there you know but um but there is like this very firm uh defense of not like and that's that's a long um stream that runs but also it's it's a misrepresentation of how actually it's like a labor market perspective, right? Mm. It's this idea of pulling yourself up with the bootstraps. You want to get a job, you know, you're going to have to get the right skills. You're going to have to work hard and then you will be rewarded through meritocracy. It's just, it's, it's a caricature, I think of how actual capitalist labor markets work, where there are all sorts of different types of associations that, that create barriers within the labor market. And so like Peterson himself is probably part of a faculty association, right? Mm. That keeps out specifically a lot of very precarious um, contract faculty. So his position and his, the money he gets, like, look at him. He's an awful academic, (laughs) you know? Like you, you telling me this guy justifies the, through his merit, the wages that he probably gets and all the stuff he gets from, from, uh, so, you know, he, he uses um, a faculty association to ev- essentially erect barriers within the labor market that keeps out a lot of these precarious academic workers who could do 
just as good a job as him in terms of teaching undergrads or probably better, at least at least of summarizing the, the communist manifesto. <laughs> oh, that's, that's such a good point, too. Like, so Peterson ultimately is, is, insul is insulated from the market. He's yeah. from the market, right? Yeah. So that's he doesn't actually point. exist by the sort of bootstraps free market principles that he ascribes, ascribes to. No, that's um, as, as a lot of middle-class professionals uh, don't mm -hmm. in capitalist society. They want the last thing you want is to be under a pure labor market sort of form of regulation, mm -hmm. right? You want all these sort of barriers, all these sort of, um, you know, certification for different types of skills and things like that. Um, so capitalism is very much about in, in, in some ways like socialism for the rich and capitalism for the poor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I was just going to say that I personally like, was really excited to see such a big mainstream debate on like, and like that it was titled happiness, Marxism versus capitalism, that this is now, it can be seen, like, it, you know, you could talk about this thing as like a, a mainstream thing. Like I was happy to see that. I, I felt like it was reflective of like the kind of state that we're in right now in some ways. Um, just the fact that these two figures are like sort of seen as contending figures is kind of exciting, right? Like it was like this fun thing. And I, I don't know. I just, I find it, also, it might, it may be also like a good example for the left that like engaging is not a bad thing, <laughs> right? Like, because I see that like, I've, I've always found engaging uh, people to be really useful. Like my cousin who was a Jordan Peterson fan um, at some point, like, you know, I've, we, we've talked about the ideas without any sort of like uh, moralism involved or anything or without necessarily like, I, I, didn't want to judge him for necessarily feeling like uh, some of his ideas were compelling. Um, and it, it was helpful. It, it did actually. And, you know, it's all contextual. I don't think you can. It depends on why someone is, is finding uh, Jordan Peterson uh, compelling. But I feel like you can always have those conversations and that we should be having them. Thanks for tuning in to this Oats exclusive. And thanks for being a patron and supporting the podcast. We really appreciate it. If you have any comments or suggestions for us, please email at podcast at socialistproject.ca.